This is Ringtones. Welcome to episode 13 of the All Boxing No Bullshit Podcast. I'm your host and shelter-in-place poster boy, Jason Langendorf. Um, I'm not going to waste a lot of time here up top. Uh, this is part two of our conversation with Nigel Collins. We've already, as you might have expected, we've already cranked out part one. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, you can stop what you're doing right now, go back, listen to it. You can catch up afterwards. It's not going to hurt anything. If you listen to it out of sequence, we're not going to rip a hole in the space time continuum or anything like that. Uh, just make sure you catch both. Uh, it was a great conversation with Nigel, uh, international boxing hall of fame, writer, author, all around good cat. Um, I've known Nigel for a long time and, um, He's, he's always got something great to contribute to the boxing conversation, frankly, any conversation. Um, make sure you follow him at uh, Nigel Boxing, at Nigel Boxing on Twitter, um, to, uh, to catch all the, his wonderful uh, musings. And, uh, and, you know, we'll probably talk to him again down the line, but, uh, but I think we, we covered a lot of ground here. Um, so without further ado, we're going to get into that. But first... And now we join the conversation with Nigel Collins. So we're talking all this boxing, but I know you've written plenty of other stuff. I, I, I've read, um, I've read some some different things that you actually sent me uh, that you wrote about Johnny Cash and Patsy Klein, and, and I know you've done plenty more. Is there is there anything else that you enjoy writing about? Do you enjoy writing about music as much as boxing or, or other subjects? Um. I always like to write about something other than boxing because it's a refresher. It's a way to spread your wings a little bit. Basically, unless it's something highly technical, I would. I, I think I could write about anything. <laughs> that, that sounds egotistical, I know, but not at all. Uh, not at all. You're a journalist. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I all the time. You're a journalist. You're trained yeah. to write about everything. I, I'm. You know. Opportunity is a great thing, and I will take the opportunity to write about anything unless it's something, you know, I don't know. Nobody's ever offered me a job I didn't take, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you know, uh, unless, unless you amongst a handful of people, um, journalists don't make much money. <laughs> no. uh, so uh, we're not in it for the money, but I tell you, a lot of times um, when things weren't going that great, uh, I would think, well, this beats a real job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah, because I had a lot of those. I, You know, look, I've, I've been back and forth, especially recently with um, with jobs that were, you know, at least writing adjacent, um, yeah. you know, but more of a corporate environment. And I'll tell you, like, the the, the quarantine has been, you know, not to, not to uh, uh, you know understate the suffering that some people are going through, but quarantine has been a boon for me. You know, being able to work from home, having that flexibility, it's one of the things that I miss about being a full-time journalist. Um, right. And then, and also what what you mentioned, it's something that I took for granted early on in my career, being able to kind of learn something new on a on a regular basis, like going out and and kind of fulfilling your curiosity and, and, you know, it might be within sports. It might not. I, I've written about everything from, 
you know, the NFL to uh, roller hockey and bike repair and, you know, uh, grass seed for uh, uh, golf courses, you know, anything you can think of. And it's, you know, a lot of it can be mundane and some of it people just don't give a shit about. But I do think it's something from from the standpoint of a writer. It's like it keeps you engaged. It's it's something that that's hard to, you know, people – used to going into the office cubicle every day doing the same thing over and over. It's, it is a bit of a blessing for us, I think. Yeah. I mean, writing is also a lonely job. Um, you know, uh, not when you're working in an office editing magazines, that's different. But if you're just writing, it's, it's a lonely job. I yeah. mean, you know, you're in, you're on your own. You're up, I'm up in my little office here and uh, everybody else is somewhere else. And, and, you know, I emerge. <laughs> Every now and then to eat. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is a lonely job, and I often wonder what my family thinks about it. But, uh, uh, I don't know. I think they uh, they just have never known me any other way, perhaps. Yeah. So they yeah they accept it. Well, and we're all you know most writers are a little screwy anyway, so we we Definitely. wind up we do a lot of second guessing ourselves, and there's a lot you know it's a cliche, but there's there's a lot of self loathing. There's a lot of you know. God damn it, why can't I get this right? Why can't I do this the way I want it done? And then, you know, you hear other people tell you, hey, I really like it, you know, and and you're still beating yourself up over it. (laughs) For me, and it sounds like for you, insecurity is my secret weapon. Yeah. You know, I'm very insecure about my writing, which seems kind of crazy after all this time. But I found this out editing. Guys who think they're great aren't, and they never improve. (laughs) Now, listen, I would say that's probably true in life about a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, for instance, like, you know, one of my old colleagues, Steve Farhood, who's more TV than writing now, but when I was working with him, you know, it was writing, basically. And he's the same way, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, the more you ask, you go, oh, yeah, maybe there's more guys like me. Yeah, uh, the, the um, insecurity is definitely a secret weapon. It's not a comfortable one, that's for sure. Um, I'm from the school that uh, I hate writing. I love having written. Um, but uh, you know, a, That's a big school. There's a lot of people in there. Yeah, right. And so I, I think that, you know, um, people that think they're great right off the bat, like you say, they're, they don't improve yeah. because they think they're great already. I think I suck, so I keep trying to improve. <laughs> well, and I think there are people who can – I think you can maybe uh, shift in and out of those a little bit. I, I think I had a – a higher opinion of myself when I was younger. Um, I, I at least knew I had, I was onto something. Um, but I, but I feel like now it is like, you know, the line I always use is, you know, the older I get, the less I know. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's true. Um, I was much more confident about what I was doing, even though it wasn't as good when I was younger. Yeah. Um, well, and when you stumble over the, uh, the, the, the insecurity, uh, uh, you know, magic. <laughs> when, when you when you start feeling like, oh, I'm terrible, it, it drives you. It really does. And, and you know, you, in the back of your mind, you know you're you're doing something. You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't be like you said. You know, they wouldn't be giving you the job. They wouldn't be hiring you to to freelance stories if you didn't have something going for you. But there's always that little voice in the back of your head that you know pushes you to make an extra call give it another polish, do whatever that needs to be done. 
know, yeah, and, and usually, that takes time to know what needs to be done. I usually work right up until the last second <laughs> before I send it. I mean, yeah. sometimes I don't, but um, I, you know, I just found out over the years the more I polish, the better it is. So you know, uh, yeah. I want to keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, now, I have known guys that are good writers. The first draft is their best. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, I can't do that. Well, there's something. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a lightning in a bottle kind of thing for for some guys, and it's I'm insanely jealous of them. But um, I just feel like those those guys are one in a million, you know, men and women. It's just it's a it's a hard thing to be able to write quickly, write well, and have it be a stream of consciousness thing. Um, I, I just I don't think most people organize their thoughts well enough and write well enough to be able to do that. Yeah, what I think is happens to me sometimes is you know how like athletes talk about being in the zone. Yeah. Um, it happens to me. I mean, you can't force it. You can't. You know, it, it just comes. Like inspiration comes out of nowhere. You know, it, it just yeah. comes. You know, you can't sit around. I want to think of something. It's just got to come. So, I get in the zone every now and then, and it may last a minute. It may last five minutes, but it seldom lasts more than ten. So, um, you know, I wait for those little spurts, you know, hoping they're coming, but you can't force them. They, they just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I I found, you know, I don't know what the duration is or how the frequency for me, but I know when I get there, I, I'm an ordinary son of a bitch. My, my I'm, you know, I do a lot of work from home and, you know, somebody, somebody comes up and taps me on the shoulder or asks me, Dad, give me a ride somewhere. <laughs> Get out of my sight. I'm in the middle of something. Yeah, a lot of times I'm glad for interruptions because it's an excuse not to write. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. When you're really in the zone and you, things are really going well, you've got to keep going until it, yeah. it disappears. Yeah, you don't know when it's ever going to come back again. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I don't have as much time as I as I like to read anymore, but I found – um, that it always informs and, and improves my writing. Um, what I know you mentioned one uh, was it Tom? The, uh, Tom the Robbins, yeah. Tom Robbins. Tom Robbins, yeah. I know you mentioned one. What What have you been reading recently? Well, uh, the most recent book I read was uh, something I learned about from Ringside Seat. They have all those ads for books and stuff. It was an unusual thing. Uh, Travels with Mary Jane. The Confessions of a 70-Year-Old Stoner. Oh, yeah, so, I grabbed that Yeah, I, I got it, and um, I didn't know quite what to expect, but I really enjoyed it. It was uh, not your normal horror story, you know what I mean, of people <laughs> being jailed for smuggling or strung out or anything like that. Um, there was, uh, it, was, it was a quick read. It was a fun read, and uh, I'm glad I saw the ad. Yeah, I uh I I felt the same. It's kind of um it's kind of a memoir, kind of a travelogue. Uh I felt like it was it was just a, a an enjoyable dive into kind of experimentation and kind of reflection on youth. Uh it like in my mind I'm thinking of it like a almost like a hippie's Gulliver's travel. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it it's um I think it's a book that you 
probably weren't expecting when you bought it somehow, you know? Uh, uh, And then um, after you get into it, you realize, oh, this is a little deeper than I thought it was going to be, you know, or or something. uh, Yeah, uh, it's – and as far as – I don't read many boxing books. Um, I got a lot of them, which I do refer to when I'm writing. The last one I read was uh, The Road to Nowhere by uh, Tris Dixon, which is absolutely marvelous. Okay. Um, he, He wrote it some time ago. And, um, you know, I, I only got it about a year ago, I guess, uh, maybe maybe more recent. And not only is it great for the all the interviews with all dozens and dozens of boxers, um, he didn't have much money. He came over for England, and he bought a um, Greyhound bus pass where you could go anywhere in the continental United States for a month. Oh, wow. this flat fee. So his actual trip, because, you know, sometimes he went without food. Sometimes he slept rough. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, from one hotel to the next on an airplane. And right. the actual tale of the trip itself um, is fascinating in and of itself, besides yeah. all the boxing stuff. I mean, uh, I, he really had balls to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've, already sold, you've already sold me on it. I haven't picked it up yet, but now I will. Have you ever seen Tris? Pardon me? Have you ever seen him? I have seen him. Yeah, he's jacked. Yeah, I mean, he's fucking huge. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I, I've, I've seen, a, I don't know if I've, you know, social media or whatever, but I, I don't know if he has boxing experience, but I know he's, he's obviously into uh, fitness. Yeah, he, um, he tried boxing a little bit, um, you know, wasn't that good at it uh, in terms of journalism. But um, he uh, actually, when he stopped being editor of the Boxing News with another fellow, he opened a gym, okay. not a boxing gym, a, I don't know, fitness gym, cross training or whatever that crap is. Um, and he was entering like those strongman competitions. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I know he went over to Europe a couple of times and he met a girl, I guess they're married now, and she was she was doing the same sort of thing, and um, so he he did that for maybe two or three years, and then he sold his interest in the gym to get back to writing. Wow. Yeah, I I'm telling you, there, I, I'm starting too late on all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I I got a family, I got teenagers that are getting ready to go to college, and I, I gotta I gotta find a way to get them through it. Uh, but I, you know, I've got all these grand ideas about you know ways to, uh, you know, foundations for books and, and documentaries and this and that and there, but it's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta hold off for a little bit so I can really dive in on something like that. Yeah. Well, what have you been reading? What's the last book you read? Um, let's see. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about a really interesting book, uh, that I read. It's called zoo Nebraska. Uh, uh-huh. um, it's about, about a guy in a small rural town in Nebraska who becomes obsessed with um, with animals, nature, but specifically um, chimpanzees. And he he he's all about Jane Goodall. And um, uh, there was another there was another uh, uh, primate researcher uh, that was pretty prominent. I can't remember her name, but Is that the one that got uh, killed. Yes, yes, and, I can't and he remember talks her about. Name. Yeah, yeah I, it's, it escapes me now. But he, like his his dream was to uh, 
work with her or or become you know kind of the the, the sort of successor to those uh, those researchers. Um, he wound up kind of falling into um, and this guy didn't come from much and he was he was sort of a misanthrope and he was a little he just you never fit in but he he uh he winds up falling into um somehow uh, being able to you know go to school or research this sort of stuff and then fall, falls into actually having a chimp being uh given to him or he acquires a chimp and creates a zoo out in the middle of no, nowhere in Nebraska um, yeah, there's not many chimps in Nebraska. No, sure. no. And so he builds he builds up the zoo, and it's all about his story and the zoo itself, and how like just crazy the the local scene is, and and the what he has to do to sustain it, and you know it basically drives him to the border of madness. And the <laughs> the conclusion is is absolutely bizarre it's it's just it's one of those books where it's very well written um uh super engaging you know it's it's hard for me nowadays like i said i don't i just don't get much time and this is one of those where i i burned through it and i you know had some sleepless nights where you know i get up the next day and i'm like god why did i do that and then i can't wait to get my hands on the book again but well don't uh, tell me the ending just in case i read it <laughs> yeah yeah no that was i like i said i i, I wouldn't want to spoil it for anybody but yeah zoo nebraska Okay, that's that's easy to remember. Zoo from Nebraska. Conrad, I think I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Anyhow, you can look it up. Um, so, so we're talking books, we're talking journalism, we're talking um, magazines, and of course there's there's newspapers, digital. I, I'm a little old school about the written word. I, I think you are too, um, and I definitely have strong feelings about the way media is changing. Um, even stuff like, you know, me doing this podcast is kind of a lark and, and, you know, kind of flying by the seat of my pants a little bit, <laughs> but, um, but how do you feel in general about the state of journalism, where we're at right now, where things are going? Well, I, I, I think that, uh, corporate journalism has been a disaster. Yeah. Um, being so freaking old, uh, <laughs> I remember a few things. So let's let's go back to the uh, late 60s and the early 70s, the counterculture. Um, at that time, there were many newspapers that were independently owned. And there were quite a few underground newspapers at that time. There was one in Philadelphia called The Distant Drummer. Um, and it was, it was good. Uh, so you didn't have like just maybe – a couple of blocks of uh, ideology. Um, you had uh, free-ranging media. And, of yeah. course, uh, the same thing with television. Um, corporate bought it all up. So, um, really, uh, I, I think one of the things about the Internet is that um, everybody's a writer and a publisher. Now, that's good <laughs> and bad because yeah. there's a lot of crap out there. But it is at least a way to get away from the corporate media yeah. that uh, is just trying to control our lives. I mean, um, really, uh, I don't have much respect for it. Um, you know, it's just uh, unbelievably horrible um, right now. So uh, books are different. They're always yeah. sort of independent. Uh, you might not get them published, but <coughs> excuse 
excuse me. But yeah, the corporate media is is one of the worst things that's happened amongst the many many worst things. Um, I, I I think that you know uh, they they uh, they support the oligarchy and uh, the military industrial complex, and uh, there are two there are the two things that are turning this country into something that it shouldn't have been ever. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very disgusted uh, with the uh, the mainstream media. And uh, I think that they're they're useless. There are there are some courageous people out there. They don't last long. And uh, you know it's um, it's it's a damn shame um, that uh, you can't um, you know have different ideas from different media instead of just you know one or two things. Both are probably just lies. So um, you know I, I'm a reader. I, I don't watch much television. Um, at night, I always read. Uh, so, but it, it's yeah, I, I can't think of anything good to say about the uh, the mainstream media. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's tough because I think guys like you and me have a lot of the same thoughts about that. And then there are those. I mean, I was just having a conversation with my folks the other day. They're complaining about their local newspaper, and it's a you know, uh, mid-sized university town. Um, with a, actually a very nice newspaper in the past, they've done great work. They're still kind of hanging on, but I guess it's you know it's it's thin now. It's it's light. There's not a lot yeah. there. There, but you know I'm, I'm trying to explain <laughs> trying to explain this to my folks, and they're like, oh, the newspaper's going to shit. This and that and the other. And I'm like, well, you got to understand what what's led to that. It's not just you know everybody who worked there just decided to stop doing their job or, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, or, or, you know, the, the, you know, the editor, you know, changed hands or got a new, it's like, look, I, I actually know some of the people working there and I guarantee you, these are good people, you know, trying to do honest work. And it's, it's just, everybody's trying to do more with less and you've constantly got the ax hanging over your head. There's some hedge fund, you know, coming along ready to sell you off for parts and they've got a completely different agenda than than the people working there do, and it's you know it's that's pretty widespread. I, I think you know as a journalist, keep hearing the same story, and I, I think you know in the in time of uh, fake news, uh, you know people are are quick to sort of dump on journalists, and it's like like you said, look, we, we don't make a lot of money. We're generally in this for the right reasons. Nobody's getting famous, and nobody's getting rich, so. You know, trust trust your local journalists. They, they know what they usually know what they're talking about, and they certainly are in it for the right reason. Yeah, I guess you know the few the few independent local newspapers are now are probably the best way to go for honesty. Uh, but but you know, like like for instance, I do quite a bit of work for the Boxing News. I have for decades, and um, they just changed publishers twice in one year. Wow. And that's that's always about money, you know what I mean? Uh, It's business reasons. And um, we probably both know dozens of journalists that have lost their jobs. Newspapers were cool. And I tell you something else that that, um, I didn't really think of it until somebody explained it to me. Like you know, there's dozens, maybe hundreds of boxing websites. Okay, there's and there's a lot of boxing on TV. So there's no shortage on the internet of boxing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 
when Russell Peltz was whining to me about stuff one time, I, I said that to him. And he said, no, this is the difference, he said. When you've got a newspaper, you may not be a boxing fan, but you're reading a sports page and you just read about the local baseball team and you turn the page and there's a boxing story. Mm-hmm. You might very well read it. Whereas on the internet, if you're into boxing, you go to a boxing site. Right. So, and if you're into football, you go to a football site. Now, yeah, people like ESPN cover all sports, but until recently, even when you were working there, it was hard to find the boxing page. You had to search. Yeah, now, and I think it's because of the multi-million dollar deal with Bob Arum, it's right there up top. Yeah. You know, uh, so um, uh, I, I think Russell really had a point that um, if you're a sports fan and not particularly a boxing fan and you're, you're getting your news from newspapers, you're going to see those boxing pages even when you're just turning the you know stories just as you're turning the pages. And you don't have that anymore. So it's harder to bring people in. You know, especially on the local level, and I believe that all boxing is local. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you see a guy from your neighborhood or just a guy from Philly, you see his picture, oh, let me, let me read this. So you don't get that on the Internet. It's all very specific, and um, it's, it's hard to recruit new fans. But I tell you the one thing that, that's, blows my mind here. They're always talking about the demographic of boxing audiences. Uh, I go to fights. There's lots and lots of young people. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of gray heads, but um, <laughs> it's it's not like, you know, you know, going to like a Rolling Stones concert where everybody's old or something, you know. It, it's... it's uh, really a mixed crowd of ages. And, and I see, you know, uh, all the time, lots of young people into boxing. So I, I think, well, here's my theory. Um, regardless of whether you're running a newspaper, magazine, or a um, something on television, um, you probably don't have anybody in your staff that knows anything about boxing at this point. And when there's a big fight, they just send a guy who doesn't know anything. Um, and it's it's very frustrating. Um, and I don't think there's any way out of it. Um, I think that uh, things are going to continue uh, to be the way they are. Um, with uh, basically the websites being your main source of boxing knowledge. And I guess you just got to make, you know, your choices, what ones you're going to read, what one you believe and what one you don't. Um, Because, but at least it's out there, but it's very hard to recruit fans. But um, I I see them all the time at the fights. In fact, I went to a fight in Allentown, which is pretty close to where I live. It's, It's not a huge place, but it's, Fairly big. They had a nice arena there. And um, I forget what the main event was. Well, I got my, I think I've got my thing somewhere here. Anyway. It was recently, right? Yeah. One of one of the opponents, uh, I think, in the main event was from Mongolia, right? Huh. And 
half the joint was filled with Mongolians. <laughs> I, where did they come from? You know, they didn't come over from Mongolia. The Pennsylvania was, Mongolians. Yeah, it was really funny. Like when we were walking, I was there with Bill. When we were walking back to the um, parking lot, one of the Mongolians, the Mongolians, I don't remember his name, came up and asked him if he could have his um, credential badge. He said, "Yeah, sure, here, go ahead." And then another guy came running up to me, and to be reassured that their guy did okay. Oh, wow. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, I said, he did okay. I said, you know, uh, and he actually did. He, you know, he didn't win, but uh, he, he was in there with a, I would say, with a boxer, and he was a slugger, and he just couldn't catch him, you know. A few times he did, but, you know, these guys were really into it. We yeah. should have more Mongolian fighters, definitely. <laughs> Remember well, that guy... You're... Turd sack or something is it was a good lightweight a while back from Mongolia. I know that's probably not how you pronounced it, but that's what it looked like. <laughs> Did you say turd sack? <laughs> yeah, <I'd... laughs> that's probably not. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of like now. Now in my head's in Turkmenistan or something. Um, I can't. Remember, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, something you said a while ago that I don't agree with. I do think that boxing is an international sport. Um, I think it's probably the most international sport except for soccer. Yeah. Um, uh, I just wrote a piece for the Boxing News. I I think they're going to save it until, like, the week or the week before when the Hall of Fame inductions were going to take place until next year. So it's about guys that uh, should at least be considered for the Hall of Fame that aren't. And uh, a lot of them were foreigners. (laughs) Uh, I had two two guys from Argentina. I had a guy from um, uh, Thailand. I had a Japanese guy in there. Uh, and, you know, these, the people that are voting, um, the vast majority of them are members of the Boxing Writers Association of America. If you're in there, you get a ballot. Yeah. All those guys don't know what happened before Mike Tyson, you know? <laughs> and the guys a little older, they don't know what happened before Muhammad Ali. Right. I I know this stuff, but every time I get my ballot, I sit down there for a couple of hours with the record book, going back and forth, back and forth, checking it out. Do you Make talk sure. to any of these guys about this? Do you do you do you try and kind of campaign for any of these uh, these fighters that are getting overlooked? So probably this article will be the the biggest thing I've done about it. Okay. Um, um, I, I'll let you know when it comes out. Okay. I, the Boxing News is very good. Uh, yeah. It's the oldest publication. It's like, well, I got a copy here. Uh, when the hell it started? Uh, I want to say it's been like 100, 100, I thought it was 115 years. Uh, 1909 it started. Okay. 1909. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, for instance, um, talking about uh, the book, uh, Travels with Mary Jane, um, Cannabis is not a performance-enhancing drug, okay? Let's face it. Um, So I wanted to write a story saying that, you know, um, it should be taken off the band list, basically. And um, Bill turned it down, believe it or not. He regretted it, but (laughs) he turned it down. I didn't even approach ESPN. I mean, those guys are – 
there's certain words you can't use and shit. Um, yeah, and the ring is pretty PC too, you know. Yeah. So, but the boxing news snapped it up. They loved it. Uh, the editor now there, um, uh, Matt Christie. Matt Christie, yeah. Yeah, he's a nice guy too. Yeah. All these English guys look alike, including me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say that because I was once at a fight in Vegas. I don't know it was Ricky Hatton or one of the uh, the Brits came over here to fight, where there were all these guys, and some guy said, "Nice, all these fucking guys look like you." <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> But it's, yeah, because you 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 tapped into something there. Pretty much what we've been talking about the past ten minutes is there. I think something that makes certain people uncomfortable about boxing is the the, the racial and the territorial elements of it, and right. there there is some ugliness to it. But the just the story you mentioned about the the you know the Pennsylvania Mongolians like that yeah. to me. That is what characterizes boxing. There's this sort of, it's almost like a civic pride, um, and and this these because it's a global game. There's there's interest from, you know, everywhere. I mean, who knew, uh, you know, who who knew much about was it Kazakhstan? I guess before before right. Triple G. Right. Um, exactly. You know, so we we learn about some of these things and and and. And there's there's interest that, that pops up from out of nowhere. Um, I mean, who was it? The uh, Ruslan Provodnikov. Um, you know, you 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 can kind of go and find different guys. Uh, Nio anyway, right now in, in Japan. You know, th- these are these are things that people are exposed to now that maybe, especially fight fans. Like the like, let's face it, most of them aren't super sophisticated. Um, that are that are learning about other cultures and you know, yeah, there's there's some crudeness to it and. and you know, we can all kind of make fun of our, make fun of our own upbringing, I, I guess. But um, but yeah, I, that's well, one you of the know, things that's always drawn me to it. Yeah, the racial thing in boxing is very obvious and out front. But uh, say you've got, I don't know, I'm just making up a, a fight here. You've got a, a fight between a guy from Mexico and a black guy from New York, right? There may be some insults slung back and forth that are, you know, very unsavory and racial. After the fight's over, those guys are hugging and kissing. You know? right. And that's the real thing about boxing. That's the greatest moment in boxing for me. I love upsets. That's that's number two. But the embrace after the fight says everything. Yeah. Well, and, and even, as you said, you know, whether it's racially motivated, whether it's something else, I mean, it's pretty darn rare. The guys could be going at it. You know, their whole families are, are thrown down at a press conference, the whole, right. whole bit. And then when it's all over, there's just a respect there that, that I think is different than any other sport. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's really funny. I mean, I'm probably going to get uh, some nasty emails about this, but a boxing match is a lot like having sex. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you're almost naked, right? Um, and, you know, you, you're all over each other and, yeah. uh, and all kinds of weird positions. And uh, there's a lot of homoeroticism in it. Uh, not quite as much as wrestling, but, you know, right, it's right. there. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think many people think about that, but it's, it's, it's there. And, you know, but... Um, By the way, send, fight, send emails to Nigel at... <laughs> no, kidding. Hell, Nigel. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know it's 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 one of the fascinating things about boxing that what they do that every now and then there's somebody that won't do it, but yeah. but usually it's legitimate. You know, and yeah. the way they go over to the other corner and the other corner gets them a drink, uh, yeah. it's a ritual. But rituals can be good because yeah. they're not trying to make well, you believe anything. Too. Yeah, they're authentic. This particular one is so. Um, I I think that um, yeah, there's racism in boxing. Of course there are. Remember the guy who was on the Friday night fights that wore a uh, pair of trunks in there that uh, was like a brick wall. Um, oh was, God, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember yeah. his name. Either way, he was, he was a Trump supporter and he had like a brick wall pattern yeah. on it. And he got knocked out by some Latino guy, right? you know. So it was great. But uh, most boxers aren't like that. Most yeah. boxers aren't. Managers, perhaps. Promoters, maybe. But uh, the boxers, they know they're just human beings. You know, everybody's the same, man. Well, and like you said, I, I think there is there's something to that where you get into the ring, it's just you and me, we're stripped down, there's no bullshit anymore. Like, you, all the talk, everything involved, where you're from, where I'm from, what language you spoke, whatever, right. none of it matters. Like, no. I'm here to kick your ass, you're here to kick my ass, and that is it. That's right. It's very pure in a dirty way. You know I mean? yeah. Boxing is like a dirty sport, but inside the ring, it's pretty pure. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. And, you know, until, until round two, uh, the, the Nigel Collins sequel. Well, listen, it was great talking to you because you allow me to talk about stuff that wasn't strictly boxing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I love to do, uh, especially when, when I get someone like you um, who's got, you know, just these levels of experience and, and it goes beyond boxing and we can talk writing and, like, that's that's the stuff I, I get a kick out of. So, Well, anytime you want to do it, man, I'm here. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Nigel. Take care. Bye-bye. Excellent. Love that guy. Nigel Collins. Uh Good friend, great writer, all-timer of a journalist. Uh, want to say thank you to Nigel for uh, for giving us his time and uh, providing so much input to this conversation and the boxing conversation at large uh, over the years. Uh, it's he, He's always keeping it lively. There's always good stuff to talk about with Nigel. Um, in the meantime, if you like what you hear, if you like what you heard from this episode or any other episode of Ringtones, follow us. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us at Facebook at, at RingtonesPod. And be sure to uh, check us out on any platform that carries podcasts. Rate, review, all that fun stuff. You guys know the drill by now. Handle your business. Help us out. Uh, we want this thing to keep going. So, so uh, you know, show us some love. All you got to do is hit those stars and and it does a lot for us. So uh, anyhow, appreciate you joining us. Thanks very much as always for listening until next time.